Sooners Extra podcast powered by The Cravings. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Joe Masato, fellow OU beat writer and columnist uh, Jenny Carlson. Uh, Jenny, let's start with you. You weren't uh, at the game on Saturday. You were up in Stillwater for that uh, scintillating game. Both of with them McNeese were State. so exciting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but uh, from afar – uh, from from taking a look at what happened last Saturday with South Dakota from afar, what was your biggest takeaway? You know, I think it, even though it was obviously an FCS opponent, well-documented that South Dakota is, I think the fact that the Oklahoma defense was able to get some turnovers to force some things, even against a lower-level opponent, was a good step. <clears throat> I think at some point, even though that's something that they've, talked about worked on drilled all of that that can start to be mental if you don't if you go through a couple games three games something like that and aren't able to get a turnover I think that can start to be um while you might be physically ready to to affect the game that way mentally it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen so I think to get a couple of those and to get a couple by a, a guy who's been maligned like uh, Brendan Radley Hiles has been. I think that was important too to to start to build that confidence that they can get turnovers, that they can force some things that way. Obviously, the challenges get bigger from here on out. UCLA not great, but obviously better than South Dakota. And then you're looking at headlong into Big Twelve play. So they need to continue to build on that. But I thought that was a really important moment for that defense to get those turnovers. And Joe Jenny brings up a. Uh Buki, um, Radley Hiles, it, how important was that game for him? And do you feel like this can be a springboard to bigger things for, for him, or is it just uh, a blip? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was important, you know, as much mentally as, as what he's doing for a football team because now every time that we talk to him, he doesn't have to hear about his struggles from last year and always sort of defend himself last season and talk about a change in the coaching staff and a different mindset and just if you know we can put ourselves in his shoes it would be nice to sort of move on from that and now you're you're taking questions about oh look how good you played <laughs> against South Dakota is this kind of a new step for you um, so I think now that he's finally able to sort of turn the chapter on what was a very rocky freshman season but um, maybe unfair expectations placed on him just because of that five-star status that doesn't mean all that much when you come to campus. Go ahead, Jenny. Don't you think, too, that part of what la what Saturday will be in his career is it's a lot up to him. I mean, granted, the defense has to work together as a unit, but you know, can he take that as a building block, or is that – the outlier. I think that's, you know, yeah, obviously that, that's the big question with him yeah. is, is, is this just, you know, one sort of flash of what we all thought he would become, or is this, like you said, a building block for making this a regular thing? I think if I had to guess, it's probably a building block as you see, uh, freshmen sometimes struggle regardless of how highly they're regarded, Coming out of high school, we saw some big-time struggles out of him last year. I think just externally, obviously not around him every day, but I think externally it seems like he's handled it very well as far as, one, not denying it happened. You know, so much of OU's defensive struggles, a lot of them have uh, denied it at times, especially before midway through last year, before, you know, the, the Mike Stoops firing and when they made that change. I think maybe that was – 
sort of a wake up call for for some of these guys. But I think Buki sort of taking that head on and taking it uh, internally has really helped him. And I, I think as much uh, mentally as anything to to move forward from that. You know, Lincoln Riley. We asked him today. We're recording on Monday. We asked him today about uh, Buki and the the development there and how much of it is just a natural progression versus, you know, anything that he's changed. And Lincoln attributed most of it to just a natural progression that happens. I think maybe a little bit uh, overstated it, but at the same time, I I think you're going to continue to see him get more and more comfortable out there and be able to make more and more plays. He wasn't perfect on Saturday. There was a couple plays um, where you saw him, I, I think early there was a missed tackle, and a couple other things. So there's still a lot of room for improvement, but there was a, a lot of encouraging signs. And especially after we talked, we talked in the postgame podcast, Joe, about uh, just the positioning on that, the recovered fumble from Neville Gallimore and what that said about not only the Alex Grinch defense mindset, but also about Radley Hiles. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he sprinted to the spot. I mean, they, they've talked about swarming the ball, and he did that on that fumble recovery. Made a good play on the pick six, obviously. Um, you're right. It was definitely encouraging from his perspective. Now, it was South Dakota, and I think it, it's going to be kind of unfair to gauge him either way until the Big 12 slate really begins and every team is passing the ball all over the place. But I think, you know, Saturday is going to be another important game for him. He's an and a pretty emotional guy, um, and, and this could be an emotional game going back home to a place that recruited him in UCLA. He's from Inglewood, California, right in L- in, in the L.A. area. Um, so presumably a lot of family on hand, a lot of friends on hand, for and what a setting to play in the Rose Bowl. You know, I thought it was interesting, uh, as uh, Pat Fields talked about Buki today, um, he brought up the word resilient several times, and, you know, I think that Joe, you brought up the mentality. Ryan, you did too. The the um, the the ability to stay with it. You know, I think one of the things that is going to be a challenge for him is being on the smaller side. But I thought Pat Fields brought up an interesting point that you know, as a smaller guy, he's always been doubted to some degree. Even as he rose in the you know recruiting world, he's still undersized. He's still got to go out and prove it. All of that, and so maybe one of those things that is going to be the thing that he's going to have to overcome has actually helped him to not go into a total shell after what happened a year ago. Cause you know, considering what he had to know from firsthand experience, and then what the outside world was telling him, I mean, that couldn't have been easy. So I think, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's see, but I do think it's, um, I do think it's interesting the way he has continued to, to, um, you know, give it a give it a run and see what he can do. And um, they they need as many capable bodies as possible back there. And uh, so if he can continue to build on this, I think that'll be big for the defense. Yeah, I, I think that uh, two of the more encouraging signs when you think about Alex Grinch's defense were Radley Heisel's performance on on uh, Saturday, and also the emergence of Jaden Davis. And and Lincoln Riley talked about that said said sort of the same thing. It wasn't perfect. There were some some freshman mistakes out there that he made, but at the same time in this league, and Joe, we've seen this a ton. You need all the corners you can get, and if Jaden Davis is able to, you know, be a rotation guy for them, that's a, a a really positive sign. If he 
keeps progressing at the way we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I think he's already a rotation guy. He played around 20 snaps against Houston, played even more than that against South Dakota. You, you know, he, he's a guy we wrote about after the game, and, I, you know, Trey Brown and Parnell Motley aren't necessarily looking behind their shoulders worried about losing a spot, but I think, you know, Jaden Davis is definitely trending upward, and a guy um, that even if he might not start, he's going to be in that rotation, and, and he's right behind those guys as one of their most valuable corners. Alex Grinch, we saw it in fall camp. He's very straightforward in – what guys are ahead and and who might play more and, and he said what you're going to see a lot more of is Jaden Davis so um he painted it pretty clearly that Jane <laughs> Davis is going to play more yeah because Alex Grinch preaches turnovers and Jaden Davis created created one and I went back and watched yeah, the replay it was of an it insane it play. was better than I thought it was and I thought it was fantastic yeah the uh Jenny I don't know if you've seen the replay of it but um what I saw when I watched it the first time, uh, both live and then looking back at the replay, was the finish of it where he sort of rolls over and tucks his hand between his legs really to keep that ball off the ground and just phenomenal job of ball control to keep it up. But the way that he stepped in front of the defender and and made that play, that to me spoke as much as anything on the value of having this guy on the field. Yeah, I mean, I, pr- I tried to stop it like frame by frame when I was watching the replay, and there's a point where it looks like four hands are on the ball when he jumps that route. <laughs> like, the receiver has it, he has it, he wrestles it away, tucks it between his legs on the way down. I mean, it was just a – it was a really athletic play. It wasn't one of those, you know, just it was thrown right at him type interceptions. He went and got it. I'm looking it up right now, guys. So here in the next minute, of course, after we stop talking about it is when I'll actually find it. But, yeah, I mean, Ryan, what you said is right. They got to have they got to have as many uh, bodies, as many, you know, options in the secondary as you can get. You're going to have your guys you lean on. But pretty clearly with, you know, with, with the way that teams in the Big 12 throw it around, you got to be able to, to, to spell guys, to give them a chance to take – at least a little time off yeah. so have you seen it jenny did you find it? i just as i'm sure i will okay we're we'll, we're, we're, we're bringing it up right here now. for jenny live, so live she, action, she can, live uh, action. okay here we some, go uh, live right. commentary Drop back, passes in the air looks like a wrestling match yeah yeah and like i said i think that the way he steps in front of the defender really was the most impressive thing to me but when you look jenny uh here in a second as they show uh jaden davis uh, being, uh, you know, mobbed. Uh, mobbed on the field by his teammates. Look at the way, one, he steps in front of it yeah. here and just wrestles it away from the defender. Yeah. But the control to keep it off the ground, you look at this angle. The uh, Real strong. The, the job that he does in not allowing that ball to hit the field. <laughs> oh it's behind, between, it's between his, his knees, knees at one point, literally yeah. keeping the ball uh, between his knees. But uh, just a phenomenal play. Yeah from Jaden Davis, one of the best interceptions that we've seen in a long time. You need instincts when you play in the secondary. You need, uh, you need obviously, timing. But sometimes you just need a stick-to-itiveness, um, whether that's one play to the next, one quarter to the next, or one moment to the next. And his ability to really fight on that one, I mean, those are the type of things that you can build on uh, if you're Alex Grinch, if you're 
Roy Manning, if you're, you know, working with those guys. That's the type of thing that's really, really, I mean, yes, you can coach a lot of that, but some of that becomes personality and instinct and those sorts of things. So those are the kinds of things you want if you're if you're looking to improve off what happened last year. Yeah, no doubt about that. We're going to take a break there and come back on the other side to talk about some more uh, OU defense, some more, uh, we're going to talk about Oklahoma's offense, Jalen Hurts, and they, their deep group of receivers go into some other things, talk about this UCLA game a little bit more. Once again, I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here with Jenny Carlson and Joe Masato from the Oklahoman. And this is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com. And, uh, Jenny, I, I mentioned before the break that we were going to talk a little bit more about uh, Oklahoma's offense. We'll go back to the defense here in a little bit. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask Lincoln Riley, Jalen Hurts, Charleston Rambo, the offensive guys that we got to talk to today, was about this wide receiver group. Uh, I mean, we, we, we know what CeeDee Lamb is and, and how good he's been. Charleston Rambo is emerging as a, a big time playmaker as well for this team. Uh, you know, we've seen the freshman, uh, Trajan Bridges. We saw some big plays out of him. Jaden Hazelwood um, finally saw Theo Weiss on the field the other night. And obviously, it's sort of a work in progress for those guys. But Grant Calcaterra is a guy who didn't have a catch against, uh, against South Dakota, although 11 players did. Um, how difficult do you get the sense it is to manage uh, the the workload on these receivers and also make sure they're all happy? Because we know, as we've seen in the NFL recently, receivers can get a little bit of a diva-ish attitude uh, with them, and uh, there's only so many balls to go around in this offense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there is a challenge. I don't know if we've maybe seen it fully realized just yet since we are two games in. And, you know, Lincoln Riley talked some today about the fact that, you know, uh, Nick Saban mentioned after Alabama's game over the weekend that he wouldn't mind seeing an all power five non-conference game and Lincoln Riley saying, I don't know. And I think part he's not necessarily saying he's against more non-conference games. uh, games against better opponents he'd like to kind of see maybe that legislated a number but part of what I think he was advocating for was maybe um, the ability to have a team on your schedule that allows you to use younger guys to use guys that might redshirt ultimately or that just you know might play all 12 or 13 games but might not be you know in the spotlight type of guys to figure out, to give them that chance to get out there to, um, to really be in the thick of a a game. So I get where he's coming from on that, but I do think it'll be interesting to see as these guys continue to evolve. Now, one thing about Lincoln Riley that I've sensed, uh, Joe Ryan is that if, if you're dynamic and if you're a game changer, he's going to get you the ball. Yeah. And so if you're a freshman or you're fifth year or sixth year or whatever year you are, he's going to get you the ball. Yeah. One thing that stands out to me, 15 Sooners have made a catch this year. 
and uh, Lee Morris is not one of the 15, and that's yeah. really surprising just because... He's just waiting for a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he hasn't been in the right spot in the end zone. Um, you know, it's maybe it was that Allen connection um, that he, Kyler Murray, and Bobby Evans sort of all had on offense last year, but um, he's a guy that you, you look and you bring in so many talented guys um, guys like him might might get passed over. I still expect him to have a big a big role in this offense. Um, but at that same position, even though they play almost completely differently, Grant Calcaterra two catches on the season for twenty yards. He's he's been really easy to to miss this year. Um, just so yeah, many. Uh, so many what, I can't remember what Basquin's numbers are. He had a, a twelve yard. Yeah, he's got uh, four receptions, reception forty three yards. Night. Yeah, um, but the good thing for the Sooners and for Lincoln Riley and for Jalen Hurts, though, is that the guys who right now you haven't seen the big-time production for, Basquin and Morris, are older guys who aren't just older, but uh, mature guys who know their role in the offense and know are comfortable uh, with that and don't necessarily need, you know, five balls thrown to them a game. Um and that helps, and that's one of the things that Lincoln Riley mentioned is that uh, Basquin and Morris uh, specifically um, are able to uh, get through that. But it's going to be something to keep an eye on throughout the year. I mean, C.D. Lamb, we've already seen the connection that he has with Jalen Hurts, but you wonder about some of these other guys. Does anybody uh, start feeling it at times where they need to get the ball to them more? especially as you see the production from the freshmen, who obviously those guys aren't used to uh, sharing the spotlight in that regard. Yeah, it's it's interesting because th- there's three guys who have had at least five catches. C.D. Lamb, no surprise, leading with eight. Next is Charleston Rambo at six. Yeah, but still, Lamb only had two in the opener. Six of them were uh, against South Dakota. And then Hazelwood is, is next with five catches. Um, everyone past that has one, two, three, and four, and like we mentioned, Morris was zero. It's I th- part of it, I think, is still Jalen Hurts feeling comfortable with certain guys and still trying to establish those connections. We saw the connection that Kyler had with Lee Morris and with Grant Calcaterra. Maybe Jalen Hurts isn't used to having that guy in, in maybe that slot or doesn't feel comfortable in that part of the field, um, but I would think it would develop. But it's it is interesting that other than C.D. Lamb, who we expect as being that go-to guy, we're not really sure who he feels comfortable with beyond that. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point that, you know, there it will probably be an evolution, you assume, um, as those, uh, those snaps, those game snaps continue to go up for uh, Jalen Hurts in this offense. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of it uh, comes down to – you know the expectation. If there's a guy that is is a leader who maybe has a you know an inclination to 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 you know stick up his hand and say, why am I not getting the ball more? But by all accounts, that's not C.D. Lamb. That's not Grant Calcaterra. That's not. I mean, you know, C.D. Lamb arguably best player, if one of the best players, but definitely towards the top of great players on this team the last couple years there could have been times when he could have said hey you know i can i can be doing more i should be doing more yeah we never have heard that from him uh calcaterra same same way i mean guys that are not only been here a while but clearly have the talent to be that way 
haven't seen it. So I think that does create an expectation. If you had somebody that was, you know, Antonio Browning it all the time, then maybe that becomes, oh, hey, you know, if he can do it, maybe I can too. But I don't sense that out of a lot of these pass catchers. Well, Jenny, you brought that up, so we'll make an easy transition uh, to that. You brought up Antonio Brown. We saw there's been all kinds of drama around him, but we saw his cousin have a really, really big day yesterday on Sunday. I know I I believe you're going to write about this uh, for for Tuesday's Oklahoman, but uh, the the Lincoln Riley, the players who were around him, um, all just glowed about the the debut that uh, he had. I know pretty much everybody around the NFL glowed about it after the two long touchdown passes that he caught. But uh, what did that say for what Marquise Brown went through to try to get ready for the Orange Bowl uh, and attempt to play against Alabama. He played a little bit, didn't do it, didn't have a catch, and was clearly hobbled, but still the ability for him to try to get back on the field uh, given how serious that injury was. Yeah, I mean, I think we knew it was a serious injury because, you know, we were. It was it was very much a slow play in terms of you know could he be ready will he be ready and lots of you know it, it sort of we'll see sort of thing so you got the sense like this was not um, a, you know after three weeks or four weeks or five weeks it all is going to be okay but this foot injury he had even up until last week the Ravens were being very cautious with where he practiced how much he practiced so. For that to still be the case now, you know, 10 months after that injury, I think that says that for him to attempt a month after to be out there, I mean, that was pretty gutsy by him to give it to give it a shot to see if he could do anything to affect that game against Alabama. So, you know, I think that just speaks to, you know, how you, you have to think man it's nice to see Marquise Brown running around out there doing what he did when he was healthy here but doing it against NFL competition and he even said after the game to reporters who were there in Miami at the game um, that you know he alluded to the fact that it's it's not really even yet 100% healthy it's going to be every week it gets a little better and that sort of says you know he was running away from guys yesterday I think that he could be a real problem for a team that did not have a deep threat last year in the Ravens. So I think it's going to be interesting to see just how he could affect things for them this year. Yeah, and uh, Joe, just a big-time day for, for Oklahoma alums in general. Mark Andrews in that game had a big game, over 100 yards a touchdown. We saw what Kyler Murray did uh, in, in leading uh, the, the Cardinals back to a tie against the Lions after a really rough start. You know, I was talking to uh, – somebody from OU a little bit earlier and they said that that game reminded them a lot of the Tennessee game a few years ago which was Baker Mayfield sort of coming out party as he took over that game the great Sterling Shepard catch there at the end to help them get into overtime and and come back but a phenomenal start uh, for uh, Kyler Murray especially given where that team was entering the year but back to Marquise Brown's performance one of the best performances by an OU wide receiver not only in a debut, but period. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, Billy Brooks, I think, has the highest uh, yardage totals in a game at 198 in a game in, in 77. 
but Mark Clayton and Kenny Stills have put together some pretty good big games themselves. I think uh, think Stills might be second with 180 yards in a game, but um, just a phenomenal debut for Marquise Brown. Yeah, I forgot the the record that I saw, but I mean, he's that one that was you know no rookie had his first two catches go for touchdowns of that length. Uh, first first two NFL career catches, which. Um, says a whole lot I mean they've been playing football for quite a long time so um kind of an out just an outstanding debut for Marquise Brown and that that Ravens offense from you know it, it kind of took some criticism last year with Lamar Jackson at quarterback is he a, a pro quarterback um he, he might be the most athletic NFL quarterback Kyler Murray is right up there with him and then to have a guy like Marquise Brown to throw to they're running a lot of RPOs that you see in college that's a really fun team I think uh, I think after the game Lamar Jackson was asked about his performance and his first words were not bad for a running back yeah, yeah. Woo! <laughs> serious shade by Lamar Jackson he yeah. was perfect for the Ravens yeah, by was, the way that really was cool <laughs> to see yeah that was that was neat so that'll be something to watch but another just a commercial for Oklahoma football yeah. uh, yesterday in the NFL as you watch everything that went on that, you know, Lincoln Riley's offense uh, looks better and better every day, which is something we've said for pretty much the last four years. Or f- what is it, five years now? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And for people that would like to see Lincoln Riley stick around, another good result was the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, and winning. as Barry Trammell wrote, not only them winning, but signing Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> You you feel when we talked about this a little bit last week, but you feel much more comfortable with that situation. But uh, we're going to take another break there and be back with our final segment here on the Sooners Extra Podcast. Uh, don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store and the Google Podcast app. We'd really appreciate that. Thank you for turning tuning in each week. This is the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Let's talk about UCLA a little bit, guys, as uh, we look forward to this game. Been a really rough start for uh, Chip Kelly and the Bruins. I know Lincoln Riley was complimentary of some of the things that he saw on film to this point, Joe, but uh, this isn't really what we expected. I think all of us expected last year that that would be a tough go for them with what they had uh coming back and implementing Chip Kelly's system. I don't think a lot of us expected, though, this year for them to struggle the way they are to go 0-2 against uh, Cincinnati and and San Diego State and enter this game sort of uh, in a tailspin. Yeah, I mean, there's no shame in losing to Cincinnati on the road, but then to come back and and lose at home for the first time to San Diego State, a a program that they had never lost to in their history – um, was pretty demoralizing. That's a San Diego State team that beat Weber State six to nothing in Week One. <laughs> so just a Whoa. a bad showing for UCLA. And, and I'm with you. I mean, you did not expect them to come to Norman last year and really compete just because it was year one. But then you thought, okay, this time next year when they go to UCLA, with, with all with the talent that they have on that roster, um, I, I looked it up for their fa- past five recruiting classes, top twenty in the nation paired with Chip Kelly's offense, and it just hasn't really come together yet. No, not at all. Yeah, and UCLA is thrown for 
355 yards in their two games. Oklahoma threw for 423 uh, the other day, threw for 332 in their opener. So they're they're averaging uh, right around that. So Goodness. Uh, not. Uh, not a good look for for UCLA and a, a side of the ball that we thought would be so so much better and uh like I said Oklahoma's more than doubled that yeah you you know and and especially with a quarterback as dynamic as Dorian Thompson Robinson he came out of high school as one of the top guys in the nation um so there's still something there so you know Oklahoma will at least get um, a threat of facing a, a, another dual threat quarterback, not not to the caliber that De'Aaron King was in Week One, but an, another one of those threats. And just another thing to throw out on UCLA, they had been missing uh, their lead running back Joshua Kelly, who was an All Pac-12 guy last year for the Bruins. Um, he was out Week One, limited Week Two. I don't know what his status is for this week, but. Um, if you're looking for any reasons to be a, at least a tiny bit afraid, that might be one. But this is a game that Link, Lincoln Riley is a coach who faces any opponent. They have to kind of build up um, who, who they're about to face. But it's kind of hard to build up this UCLA. Team. Yeah, and it's disappointing because I think a lot of us expected this to be the marquee non-conference game for the Sooners. Although by the time the season sort of rolled around, I think we had an idea that Houston was going to be the tougher one because of Derek King and the the uh, problems that he presented. But by the way, Joshua Kelly, fifteen carries for fifty three yards last week and a touchdown. Yeah. I think so. Not, not a not, very good uh, ratio. Not there. great. I mean, certainly when we look at like the Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks numbers, when you talk about yards per carry. But if he's able to be healthy, then it at least gives them another option. But Jenny, it seems like this non conference schedule, the way it's played out takes away some of the wiggle room for the Sooners when you talk about the big picture, talk about the chances to get into the college football playoff. Pretty much every year they've had such a good non-conference schedule that if they trip up somewhere along the line, you've got a chance to make it up. But maybe that's different this year. You know, they've had some um, – they've had about – you know, if you think about the last decade, it's been about 50-50 on these marquee games. They've run into a – bad stretch for Tennessee a couple years back where Tennessee wasn't that wasn't that good at all um, now this UCLA you know curse Blatt series you know and I agree with what you said earlier Ryan I thought last year okay UCLA figuring stuff out mm-hmm. I bet this year out in California it'll be a different setup but they just look they just look to be struggling from every vantage point and I think what Lincoln Riley said has some validity to it in terms of that there are some athletes and some guys that probably pass the eye test. Oh yeah, they've got talent. There's no doubt about that. But it's man, just if you can't together. if you can't go win one of those first two games or or play better, I mean they didn't they didn't play very well. I mean you got to beat the San Diego State team. This isn't yeah. This isn't a Marshall Falk San Diego State team. You True. Know? I don't um, think I have. I'm, I'm not I mean, on follow San Diego they State. They barely beat that. Weber State, yeah. so yeah, let's that's, not get too excited. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, I Weber mean, State is a top 25 uh, FCS team, I believe. I'm not, I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's poo-pooing Weber State. If you'd like and, to email Joe Masato, <laughs> you Weber State fans. <laughs> hey, there's a, a guy from uh, my old high school who went and played at Weber State hey, a few see, years ago with uh, jo- Josh Booker. Josh Booker is going to be uh, hit him up. We'll do reaching out. You know, I think you bring up a good point, though, Ryan, because 
you know, like you look around the Big 12, a, a team like Texas playing LSU over the weekend, losing, uh, as most Sooner fans gleefully, uh, I'm sure, know. <laughs> um, but still, with that loss, you could see Texas, if they run the table, they could still be a playoff team. Whereas Oklahoma, if they lose any of these three now, it would just be the UCLA game, non-conference games. Like, that just feels like a hard mountain yeah. to climb. Well, and that's a good point. Just period for them, even if it's not one of these games. I think maybe the one game you could overcome at this point is if you lost to Texas right. uh, yeah. because of but not you know, who they are and the games. fact that you'd probably play them again. Sure. But, uh, you know, even – the non the non conference schedule like we think about that uh, Iowa State loss that Oklahoma had a few years ago and the the results of that uh, you know having beaten Ohio State uh, earlier in that season helped them to to bounce back from that eventually obviously they had some good wins you know they beat TCU twice at both as, at times as a top ten opponent OSU was really good that year and, and Oklahoma beat them. Uh, but it doesn't seem like the way this schedule plays out that there's that buffer now. Yeah, I mean, and they did overcome losing uh, to Texas in the regular season last year, but you know, I guess that is the, one of the games they can afford to lose and still make it, but if you lose that what's, game, what's your marquee win going to be? I mean, Yeah, I mean, it would be Texas again. T- yeah, Texas um, again. And the, and then you're just in, looking, assuming it's the Longhorns in the the Big Twelve title game. Iowa State yeah, you beats hope Iowa. The, you you hope that some well, of these Big Twelve teams can get some impressive wins because right now, uh, well, I mean, Houston is the most impressive win of the yeah. Big 12. That's that's the thing with this this conference is finding impressive out of conference wins, and there just there aren't, aren't any right now. Yeah. I mean, if Iowa State were able to beat Iowa, that's uh, that's going to be the best by far. Yeah. Um, they they obviously could have used. Texas to beat LSU last week. That didn't happen. But, Jenny, just talking about Texas because everybody likes to hear about Texas uh, on the OU side. And and it's important for OU, for Texas to be good, as we've talked about um, really since we resumed this podcast. But uh, I thought we saw some good signs from Texas when you talk about how their offense, how Sam Ellinger uh, performed. Some questions about their defense, which is why I had them a little bit uh, lower ranked than a lot of people uh, entering the season. But uh, it's really going to be interesting to see uh, what the Longhorns do from here and if they bounce back from that and are able to, uh, you know, become the team that a lot of us expected or if that defense uh, falls apart. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I guess I bought the preseason hype that LSU was going to be better offensively, but I didn't think they. I mean, be I didn't think they'd be that, that good. good. <laughs> Which I mean, it that happens when you got a good quarterback for the first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, and and that's been, man, LSU. How many great defenses I mean, have they wasted with no quarterback? Yeah, I mean, it's the opposite of Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Yep. with with the offenses. You know, when was the last really good LSU quarterback? Have they had one since Russell? Mm, I mean, difference maker type quarterback probably. Joe's the not. SEC SEC guy. Bettenberger, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's as close as you'd come. Yeah, but that's he played I, a 
a day in the NFL or something. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah it, Jamarcus Russell is the last marquee guy for sure. Yeah. yeah so. I, I, but I mean, I think I think the Texas question to me, I thought while LSU's offense, I mean, even if it is that much better than we all expected, to me, the thing that Texas I felt like might be able to, um, you know, not only be a top player in the Big 12, but maybe be a team that could beat Oklahoma twice was their defense. And now you just have to wonder if it's not going to be some sort of track meet if the two, you know, lock horns twice. Well, lock whatever. they um, One has horns. The other one does not. I, okay, whatever. Um, but I think that that's, that's a really interesting development because, um, you know, I, I think – there was all the talk about, you know, is LSU or Texas DBU heading into that game? And now it's like, did they play any DBs in that game? Were they, were they there? Did they miss the bus to the stadium? Like, what happened? Yeah, it, it, it's – I'm still not sure exactly what we saw. If we saw <laughs> really good offenses or if we saw some defenses that maybe aren't as good as, as we thought now. You know, t- Texas, I had questions about them defensively, although I still think that – uh, my vote was for Caden Stearns as the preseason uh, defensive player of the year. We've good talked player. about that a lot, but uh, he's he's a really good player. But uh, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you really wanted LSU to win that game. I understand why you wouldn't, but if you're thinking about how OU is going to be affected down the road, it certainly uh, would have helped. But that game's not too far away, too. It's getting close as OU uh, this their last non-conference game then they got uh, Texas Tech which I think is going to be honestly we'll have plenty of time to talk about that but I think that's going to be interesting to see uh, that game and how Alex Wrench's defense I think that's maybe the first real benchmark for how this defense is going to perform moving forward uh, especially after we've seen Tech just absolutely destroy OU's defense over the last few years what Alan Bowman did in the first half last year but then they got Kansas, and then they, they, they play Texas, and we'll be all fired up about that, which brings me to a promo. Let's uh, <laughs> if Please bookmark RedRiverRivalryRadio.com. We're going to be doing a, uh, a 24-7 pop-up radio station the week of that game. Get ready for that. I think it's going to be really interesting. Jenny and Joe were part of some of the recordings for that, plus we'll have some live stuff down there. I believe we're going to be live at least some of us are going to be live from the State Fair of Texas uh, the, the last few days before that game, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, uh, both before and after. But it's going to be a fun time. We really uh, hope you all check that out. I think Ryan's going to be uh, give it a read. popping a cot at the uh, State Fair, sleeping on the grounds. Everybody uh, go say hey to him. Just repeating Red River Rivalry Radio. RedRiverRivalryRadio.com. <laughs> Go get him a go get him a coney dog, folks, and help him uh, oh, keep his I, there, strength up. There will up. be some Fletcher's corny dogs uh, consumed. There will be. Hey, the State Fair Oklahoma starts uh, what this weekend? Yeah, right? Thursday, I think, so, or Wednesday. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. So we'll have to get. Uh, maybe we can take Ryan some, out there and get him some practice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe so because <laughs> I I have a weakness for fair food. I'll fully admit that. And the Texas State Fair is just incredible with everything. I think uh, <sighs> a couple years ago tried some fried butter. Oh, um, gosh. Which tastes like – I did not have a favorable impression going in. It was just like uh, – Isn't I, that just tempura it was, batter? Isn't it that was what that Brooke, is? It was Brooke Pryor and uh, 
can't remember who it was uh, from from the Big makes Twelve. Me sick to my stomach. That said, hey, we got to try this. So I think we got one order, and it was like three of them, but it wound up being really good because it was like, you know, you think of like a heavily buttered roll. If you inverse the proportions of the bread to the butter, that's sort of what it was. So you want so some was, you want some bread with your butter yeah, instead of exactly. some butter with your I bread. Mean, so it just looked sort of like a roll, but you bit into it and it was just that thick butter flavor. Joe was, does I don't yeah. think Joe's buying it from I'm the look scared. on his I'll, face. I'll, I'll stick with the corny dogs. I, I like the corny dogs. Last year I had like a crawfish uh empanada uh type thing. It was okay. really good. Yeah. I can buy um, that. I also had the uh corn dog beer. Uh, uh, I think that was last year. Put the it mustard was, on the rim. Yes, right? add the mustard on the rim. It was not really good. It was one of those things where you took the first drink and uh, you're like, ah, this is this is okay. This is not going to be bad. And, and like, then you oh. took the second drink and you're like, nope, nope, <laughs> not uh, not going to do it anymore. So, uh, uh, this will be fun. So yeah, we'll and I think uh, Jenny, you're going to be down there for it this year. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, so. Yeah. We've got a we've got, got the, an off week for Oklahoma State, so favorable schedule. It's everybody in the everybody in the boat. We should get an RV. We should go camp out at State Fair, Joe. Yeah, I'm down. I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll so start the organization now. If there's any <laughs> RV companies that want to sponsor, sponsor? Uh, <laughs> Red River the, Rivalry the, Radio, Red River Ooh, Rivalry Radio uh, dot com, and dot I, I think the uh, State Fair of Texas is is helping us out uh, with the uh, with something as well. So it. It's going to be a good week. But anyway, we've talked enough about that. We're going to jump off here, and uh, we'll be back a little bit later in the week looking a little bit more at Oklahoma-UCLA. Hope to have a great uh, guest lined up for you to talk a little bit about that game. We'll have some predictions, your mailbag questions. If you have a mailbag question, you can tweet me at R-Y-A-B-E-R or email at raber at oklahoman.com. Guys, I know you're probably sick of saying this, but I ask you every week, Tell people where they can email you, where they can follow you on Twitter. Um, it's at Joe underscore Masato. Jenny's telling Twitter. Joe to go ahead and go ahead, and he can't even and, talk. Uh, <laughs> I think Joe's got the throat thing I got. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, Joe. I, I'm, I'm battling it a little bit. And then Jay Masato, that's M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O at Oklahoman.com is my email. I'm uh, the at Oklahoman as well for email, Jay Carlson uh, at Oklahoman.com. And then Jenny, J-E-N-N-I Carlson, C-A-R-L-S-O-N underscore OK on Twitter. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining uh, the Sooners Extra podcast from the Oklahoman. Uh, please reach out to us. If you have any questions or uh, just for any other reason, we'll be glad to uh, talk to you. Once again, the Sooners Extra podcast presented each week by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day in the Oklahoman and every every day at Oklahoman.com. Jenny, I messed it up. I didn't say right. the other one, but I messed it up. That's all right. Every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anyway. <laughs>